up this morning. I know last week, Brother Garen continued on in this, this look at, at true authentic worship and, and fasting being an element of that. And this morning, we're going to see the continuation of, of this section of chapter 6 that really just really starts to hit home and get very personal with us. But we're going to start in verse 19 and read down to 24. So we see what God has for us this morning. It says this, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we lean into your, your word, God, the truths, the absolute truths of your revelation given to us, God, I pray that we would just allow it to speak to us right where we are. God, that as we navigate the, the day-to-day life that we live and the, the responsibilities that you have blessed us with, Father God, I pray that we would see you at work in the midst of this text and what it means for us, how it can challenge us, Lord, convict us. Lord, just compel us to take the steps you've called us to take. God, we just, again, just thank you for your truth. And we just ask you to use it in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've, um, as we've navigated, as we've navigated this series, Speaking of, of kind of this kingdom declaration about the character of a kingdom citizen, what that looks like for a person of God to step into the culture around them. You know, as Jesus is teaching from this mountainside and he's talking to his disciples here and there's kind of a multitude that are within earshot of him, that he's really trying to bring clarity to how to navigate life. And so we've talked about so many different things up to this point. And I really encourage you to go back and check out the podcast if you've missed any or just if you just need to reflect on uh, other aspects of it and just utilize it in your devotion time or if you have commute or something like that. But, you know, as we move into chapter 6, like we talked about in the beginning when we first started, when we talked about giving to the needy and kind of moved into the Lord's Prayer and then fasting and that type of thing, Really, the focus has been on what it means to have true, authentic worship. Like, how do we engage with God in a true, authentic fashion? And so this morning, Jesus really begins to kind of present the greatest enemy of our worship, the greatest enemy of our growth, the greatest uh, enemy of our enjoyment of God. And what we see, as we've even read the verses this morning, what we see is he's speaking about a divided heart. A divided heart. Because weak worship is because it is not centered in one space. You know, in one space. And so uh, uh, our cultural scenery is one that is grasping for importance, right? Our cultural scenery is one that is grasping for, for meaning in a world that separate from God has none. You know, because, and we've talked about this a little bit before, you know, like when you have a discussion with someone who doesn't believe in God, or if you've ever watched debates uh, on, say, 
moralism or like just the belief in God in general. You know, uh, for us as Christians, when we engage in that argument, really we can say like, what is the point of anything? Like what is right or what is wrong and by whose standard? By my standard? Because my standard may be different than someone else's standard. So there has to be a morality outside of us. There has to be a guiding principle outside of us. There, you know, and what I talked about to the youth this past weekend, you know, if you found a painting in the woods, you wouldn't assume that that painting just came into existence from nothing. No, we would assume that that painting that I found in the woods was created by a creator with intentions, with purpose, with creativity, right? And so it's the same thing with us. So there's so much that speaks to the existence of God, but for some reason our cultural scenery does not want to embrace that. And the Bible tells us to not be surprised by that. You know, and I'll share with you a little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine this morning, so don't judge me too harshly, but, you know, just because of the, the day and age at which I grew up, you know, I grew up kind of within the 90s, so 90s music is really, just really key for me, but then also kind of a guilty pleasure of mine, and it might seem odd, uh, of mine is, is hard rock music from like the early 2000s to mid 2000s, and so like there's a, there's a common thread though, and I know that seems like super angsty and angry, but I tell my wife, I was like, it's just because they're just passionate. I just enjoy their, but they're just screaming the whole time. Yeah, but it, they're passionate, right? They're just excited about what they're doing. And so that's what draws me into it. But anyway, it's, uh, it, there, there's like kind of a common theme within like that type of music is that they're all like searching for something, right? They're, they're, they're looking for like, their place, you know, and I know this is a little earlier than that, but even like, you know, the U2 song, like, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like, that's always kind of a common thread in the creative space of music. You know, one of my favorite songs, the chorus from that era, the chorus says this, and, and every time I hear this song, I think about it. And if, if you listen to that type of music in this time frame, then you'll recognize the song. But the chorus goes like this. It says, I've tried so hard, and I almost want to sing it. My boys would laugh at me because I know every word of the song. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. I had to fall to lose it all, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Like, what's the point? Like, I've done it, I've tried it, I've searched it, and in all of this, like, and this is so reflective of our, of our cultural scenery where we're trying to find that value, that importance, that, that space at which we, we live. And when we sing and when we, we pray and we engage with God and we navigate our relationships and we instruct our children, like, we're grasping for this, this substance, Right? And so what Jesus really begins to do here is, I believe, kind of give us some clarity in dealing with this and finding this space. And so he gives instructions first in kind of how this goes in evaluating the state of our heart, evaluating the state of our heart, the place that we should be investing the value that we see in, 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 our, in our world and in our life and in our relationship with God, the purpose for our investment and the process of our investment is kind of the three things that I really want us to see because if I had to subtitle this morning, it would be where's our investment because that's what he's trying to kind of bring to their mindset is like where are you pouring it all out and where are you seeking to pull from? And so that's kind of the space at which we navigate. And so the first, first thing that I want us to see here this morning is the place at which we make the investment and draw the investment from. The place at which we do that. In verse 19, he says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
And so this could also be said like this, do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. And so when he says treasures, what is he speaking about? When he talks about treasures, he's not just talking about monetary treasure. He means to, in this idea, when it talks about treasuring our treasures on earth, it means to create a storehouse of wealth for ourselves. And so when we talk about wealth, we're talking about anything that is precious or valuable to us. And that may be tangible things, monetary things, but then it also may be other things because we may see value and find wealth in knowledge. We may find wealth in relationships. We might find wealth in importance. We may find wealth in, in our status in society or in our job or whatever that might be. So there's a lot of areas at which we can find, see as precious or valuable to us. And so he continues on and just like all the other things, and this, as we kind of get into this, as we talk about this place, you know, like all the other ways of worship that we have discussed, this isn't so much in the, of a command not to have anything, but a call to evaluate the focus. You know, because all of it with God, all of it that Jesus engages with, it's always a heart conversation. Like, it's not so much about here. Like, it's not so much about what we have. It's not so much about what we have, but it's about why do we have it and how do we choose to use it and view it? You know, and, and like I said, that's not just monetary things or, or it's our time, right? It's our, it's our relationship. It's our, it's our influence. Like, how are we choosing to use and utilize and why do we have what we have and how do we choose to utilize it in our life? And so he says, he says he starts, and I love this because he starts out by being very clear to di differentiate the spaces he is speaking on. So he says earth and heaven. And so what is he speaking about? Remember, <clears throat> God's focus isn't so much the tangible, the, the touchable, what we're seeing. So he says, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. So when he speaks of earth, what, what is he talking about? Typically in the Bible, it speaks of earth. He's speaking of the, the kind of the physical realm, right? Kind of what we can see, what we can touch, what we can smell, what we can see. And then he talks about heaven, laying up treasures in heaven. So when he's speaking of here, what are we talking about? We're talking about the spiritual. And so when he's saying here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, and he kind of, uh, on the others, contrasts that with lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's speaking of kind of trying to get us to see the value in our spiritual lives, the, spirit, the, the value in investing spiritually in our, in our personal lives and the lives of the people around us. And there's an, a reason why. There's a reason why. And he quickly gets into the example of how the enemy works how the enemy works because he tells us, you know, what works against a divided heart? You know, what is actively working against the things uh, that we invest in, the things that we find value in here at which we exist? You know, the things that we identify with, the things that we allow to identify us, the things that we just grasp for. What does he say? Are, there's things actively working against it. And what does he say? There are natural elements. And what does he say that are natural elements? He talks about moth and rust, you know, these things that eat away at it, these things that degrade it, these things that destroy it over time. And I love that these aren't things that instantly destroy it, right? That's interesting. In that moment, it's, it's, he's not talking about things that instantly destroy the things that we hold as important or valuable. It's things that eat away at it, right? Moth, rust, it takes its time. And so he's saying, like, if you lay a store up, if you find your ultimate value, your ultimate importance, your ultimate uh, enjoyment of the things of earth, what does he say? He says, ultimately, over time, 
maybe not instantly, but over time, those things will fade away. They'll lose beauty, right? They'll lose their significance. They'll lose maybe even some of their ability, right? Like if I have uh, this, this great jacket that just keeps me warm and it's my favorite jacket, but I, it's stored in a place at which moths can get to it. Like what are they going to do? They're going to tear it up, right? They're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to become degraded and thin and, and become less effective. And not only that, not only is there this natural element that eats away at the things of value that we find in this place, then he even says there are human elements. And what does he call them? He calls them thieves. He says there are people. There's a human element to our lives. And remember, this is to come after the things that we know as valuable and, and important and that give us uh, fulfillment. And so it's not just the monetary. It's not just money. It's not just cars and boats and houses. But it's anything that we find valuable. And he says, listen, there's not only natural elements that work against that, there are thieves. There are, there, are, there are workers of the enemy that their sole purpose is to rob you of those things, to take those things away, to, to steal them away from you. You know, and, and, and I, I think about this even in the senses of like relationships, you know, like there are natural things about the progression of our lives that say in the relationship of husband and wife, like you look different over time, right? Like time changes us. And so if our, our, if our, if our investment, in my, if my investment in my marriage is strictly on, say, how, you know, and, and I think my wife is beautiful, and I know my wife thinks that I'm a handsome fellow, but I'm going to look different in 40 years than I look now, right? And, and even we look different than we looked. I mean, we've been together since like fourth grade. Like we look different from then than we do now. So like life changes. So if like there's certain elements of like our physical lives that, that is the, the, the defining factor of how we navigate our relationship, well, that's going to change. And, and even like the dynamic of our relationship and the dynamic in your relationship with your spouse, like it changes over time. Like as you navigate it, you learn more about marriage and how that functions, how that works. And so, you know, there's these natural elements. But not only that, not only that, but because of the frailty of humanity, like there's a humanistic element that comes in to steal people away. From, like there's a humanistic element that, that is seeking to steal our children away from us, right? Like we understand that, right? There is, a, there is an element at which the world is working, thieves working to steal the minds of our children away from heaven, from the, the spiritual, from the good of God, from what God has given, from what God is providing. And so he's wanting us to understand the things that we hold as valuable and important. There are elements actively working to destroy those things if the fullness of our investment is here on earth, in the physical realm. Because the fallen creation will never let us truly settle. And so because of that, what is, it, what is the physical realm, what can it not truly provide for us? It cannot provide for us a stability in our investment. There's, it's not guaranteed. It can, it can be taken, it can be shifted, it can be stolen, it can be damaged, and it can be decayed. So our lives, our identity, our foundation, if it is laid on our treasure, our investment on the things that we do here, on the things that we find as valuable, as the things that define us, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's sports, maybe it's our job, maybe it's even our kids, like what Whatever these things are that define us or that, are, that we are pouring our utmost investment in, 
It becomes our footing. It becomes our foundation. And that is all in our experience of the earth, and we depend on it for our true joy and our true fulfillment. Well, what happens when the natural element and the, 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 the humanistic element to it affects that? When that becomes shifted, when that becomes taken away from us, like what do we do? Now, that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They change. They fade. They, they fizzle, right? They, they fade away. Paul says, listen, the focus of our life, the investment of our time, the investment of our heart, the investment of our resources can't be completely within the context of the things that we do. Because listen, those things can be taken away from us. Time changes them. Thieves come in and steal them away. I mean, we can be defined and find value and importance and investment in so many different things. And those things can be gone tomorrow. He says, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. They are eternal. And he says, he says, but lay up treasures in heaven, in verse 20, but lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. He says, the natural elements can't get to our spiritual investment in Christ. They, they can't get to what God is doing through Christ in us and around us and in our families and in our churches and in our jobs and in our friendships and in the things that we do. He says the enemy, the natural elements can't get to that. Not only that, but then I love the way that he says this. He says that whether, whether, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in. And this word break in, it also means that they can't break through, that there's a barrier there at which God has set up. That whenever the, we bring these two elements, we bring these two spaces together and consider how God works in the midst of it, that he tells us that in the spiritual and what God does and what he reinforces and the foundation at which he lays and the strength at which he gives, he says the enemy cannot break through. He says you want to sure up your relationship with your family? Then allow your investment, your treasures to be laid up in heaven with Christ because he will put a barrier in your life to keep the enemy from breaking in. He cannot break through. You want to sure up your marriage. He says, pour your treasures into heaven, into Christ, because he will put a barrier there that will keep the thieves from breaking in. He says, this is how you sure things up. He says, listen, there's not enough that the earth can give us to sure things up because moth and rust and thieves are after it. They're after it. Whether it's time, whether it's the elements, or whether it's a, the humanistic element of it that comes into play. Listen, there is an enemy at work actively against everything we have right here. Constantly. There is always an enemy at work against everything you have at home. There is an enemy at work every time our children step out of our care. There's an enemy at work in our children's lives when they're in our care. There is always an enemy at work, whether it's the natural elements or the humanistic elements that play, come into play. You know, in ancient history, it was practiced to be buried with your riches, to take them into the afterlife. And so then for us, when we evaluate that, where have most of those riches ended up? If they haven't been found, they're still in the grave. And if they have been found, where are they? They're in museums for us to look at. Those riches have not gone anywhere. Anything we have, it goes nowhere beyond this. And, and, and this is the thing. 
you know, and I love this, this element to it. Whenever, you know, when he talks about what is precious, what, what is seen as precious on earth, you know, and, and, and what they saw as precious, what they saw as important. What is the one, one of the main things they saw as valuable? Well, gold was one of those things. And I love this. When we read in Revelation 21, 21, when it talks about the kingdom of heaven, what does it say? That the street of the city was pure gold. So the things that they saw as valuable and important, what did God use them for? God used them to make roads. You know, and I don't see that so much as like God bringing value to the roads. I see that as more as God devaluing what we see as valuable. God making nothing out of what we thought is something. He says, listen, you don't need it. I'm going to use it to make roads and you're going to step over it. You're going to drive over it. You're going to walk through it and not even pay attention to it the same way we don't pay attention to the gravel or the pavement under our feet. It's just dirt and rocks. God said, I'm going to use the thing that you see as valuable and important, and it's going to be debased to the point of dirt and rocks. So don't put all your chips in that. Don't put all your investment in that. Don't put all your investment in these things here that we think are valuable and important and allow them to supersede our relationship with God or our ability to lead our families or to do the things that God has called us to do. And this is why the next thing being this, not only as we looked at the places, but the next thing being this, the purpose. The purpose. And I want to look at verses 21 and kind of jump to 24 because I think that they play really well together right here. In verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was telling us wherever our investment is, our worship is and our heart is. Where we see value the most, where we pour ourselves out the most, that is where our heart is. That is where our being is. When the Bible talks about our heart, it is talking about the innermost value and identity of who we are. It says if, you, if, you, if your heart, if your treasure, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be wherever you have stored up, wherever you have invested. That is where you are. It doesn't matter where else you are, but where your heart is, that's where you are. And there are so many things that are entered into our life, so many things that we're constantly, and this is a constant thing. This isn't something that we fix in an instant. This is something we have to understand because idolatry and all these things have been, have been relevant all throughout history. Our idols just look different than the idols of ancient, ancient history. But they're still there. We're still idolizing things. We're still elevating things to points of worship. We're still elevating things. And, and they may be very simple things or they may be, be very complex things, but those things are there. And the, the reality of it is, and what God's M.O. is, and, and even in the New Testament that references back to the Old Testament of God teaching and proclaiming this in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, Jesus says, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all the innermost of who you are, with all of your spirit, with everything that defines you, with everything that identifies you, that you love the Lord in that. It says you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Why? Because that's what God wants from us more than anything else that we could ever give. Does God need it? No. God does not need anything that we give him. But when we are giving to God, God knows the benefit in it for us. That when we are giving, when we are pouring ourselves out, investing in the kingdom of heaven, we are investing in God, pouring ourselves out in all the things that we do, then we, he knows that that lines us up with his will and that we enjoy the blessings and benefit of being within the context of his will. Hosea 6.60 says, I, de I desire 
desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He says, I desire your love, your heart, more so than even your religious activities. He says, that's what God is calling us to. Proverbs 23, 4, he says, Do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to, to desist. To resist it. I, lo- I love this verse because I think it really lays out really the context of our day to day, right? He says, because I feel like most of our life, especially out in the workforce and as we're trying, you know, as men or women, whatever, whatever the, the, the aspect of your relationship is, but, you know, providing, right? Providing. Like, so we're toiling to, we're, we're working, we're fighting, we're navigating to provide, we're navigating for stability, we're navigating for comfort, we're navigating for all these things that we, that in a lot of ways we need. But it, I love how he says, how he says this to be discerning enough to desist. Be discerning enough to resist when you need to resist. To push away what's drawing you in. That, that you're seeing the value. That you're seeing the importance more than God. And remember, we're talking about comparing and contrasting our relationship to God and our relationship to everything else in our lives. That's what we're looking at. And like I said, that's so many different things. Yes, it's money. Yes, it's time. Yes, it's relationships. Yes, it's stuff. Yes, it's our houses. Yes, it's our, our social status. Yes, it's our friendships. There's a lot of things that play into that. But he says, be discerning enough to resist where you need to resist. Be discerning enough to stiff arm, to push away those things that are robbing, robbing God of the worship that he deserves. Robbing God of, and robbing us of the true experience of the fullness of what God has given us. And then in verse 24, jumping there, what does he say? He says this, this is the purpose, this is why we need to know this. He says, because no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Because for us, the thing is, we are accustomed to, to dividing life into spiritual material. We are very accustomed to that. That this is my spiritual time, this is my material time, this is the rest of my life, this is my Christian life, that we've consolidated it, we've compartmentalized it into Sundays or into certain experiences during the week or whatever that might be, or certain relationships, like these are my Christian friends, these are my non-Christian friends, right? These are the people that I do this with, these are the people that I do this with. Like we've, we've compartmentalized and kind of uh, done that within the context of our lives, but Jesus never made such division. And that's what a lot of this is. And when we talk about true worship and we talk about giving, we talk about praying, we talk about fasting, like all these things that can truly only happen in an undivided heart. They can truly only happen with an undivided heart. And, it, and, and the thing about it is he doesn't say maybe you can serve two masters, right? He doesn't say maybe you can figure it out like, or that it's going to be very difficult to serve two masters. He says... No one can serve. No one can serve two masters. He says this because he knows that, because he knows that the humanity will strive daily to balance its allegiance. And so every day, every day that we enter into life, we're, we're, we're fighting a battle of allegiance. Allegiance to God and his call for our life and how we navigate our allegiance to our own success, our own pride. Our own comfort. I mean, that's really the greatest enemy, right, is, is, is our, ourselves, our own draws, our own desires, our own needs. And, and so because when that becomes most, when that becomes where our treasure lies in, our, in, in that area, then 
God takes a back seat because we become God, right? Or, or, or everyone else that we could potentially help or invest in, they take a back seat because we're the one that needs help. We're the one that needs our time. We're the one that needs our resources. We're the one that needs all that. And so we're constantly in this battle of, of, of daily balancing our daily allegiance. And Jesus is telling him, listen, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve your own comforts and serve Jesus because sometimes those things are going to conflict and, and, and they're going to combat each other. And so who wins out, right? Who's going to win out? It's going to be more difficult, right? Like we can't, we can't balance this allegiance. Like, and as I've raised kids, like this has been a hard thing. Like we can't balance the, this allegiance of like making their social or, or school interactions easy because of the the, the difficulties of our culture, the things that the cultural expectations or the cultural acceptance, you know, the things it's, I tell my boys all the time, like it's no secret, like to be Christian is not a cool thing anymore. Like it's, it is very marginalized now. Like it's going to be difficult to be Christian in your space. And, and I could, you know, we could as parents, we could give our allegiance to that cultural comfort and say like, hey, look, just, just kind of blend in, just kind of be that and be there and live that and do what they do and just, just so that there's no conflict. But that's not what Christ has called us to. Like, that's not what God has called us to as parents, is to allow our children to navigate that space. No, we are called to lead them in spaces where it's going to be uncomfortable for them because they're going to be different. They're going to look different, live different. They're going to speak different. They're going to act different. But that's the point. That's the point. And so he tells us we can't, we can't navigate this space of serving two masters. And like we said... It's not so much, and when he's speaking to the disciples here, the, even the people that are listening, it's not so much about the wealth that Jesus is concerned about. It's not so much about what they have, but it's about their loyalty. Because is your loyalty to God or is your loyalty to what you have? Is your loyalty to your goals, your own goals, your own desires, your own personal needs? Because the thing about it is, you know, we can be we can be consumed by the material world if we allow it to be. And remember, when we talk about materialism or we talk about the material world, we're not just talking about money. We're not just talking about stuff. But the actual physical interaction of this world and the things that it wants from us and calls from us, maybe it's socially or, or, or whatever it might be. But materialism is in direct conflict with our loyalty to God, and it constantly fights at that. And just like, like we said earlier, that the ancient world struggled with idolatry, and so do we. That it's not about what you have, but why you have it and how you use it. What you do and how you navigate it. You know, like our kids, when we talk about this with our kids in sports, like it's not wrong to do sports. It's not wrong to navigate these things, but how are you using it? Like, what are you doing with it? What's the value of it? Is it more valuable than anything else in your life? Or is it a tool at which you use? Or does it use you? Like, and really, that's the defining element of the things that we engage with in our world. Are you using those things, or are those things using you? Right? When we talk about anything, whether money, time, stuff, relationships, like, are, are, are you controlling those things, or are those con things controlling you? Because the Bible uses that as the point at which we define whether something is sinful or not. Does it reign over you? If it reigns over you, it's sinful. It doesn't matter how good it is, and that's the problem. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when they looked at the fruit, the fruit itself was not bad. The fruit itself was not bad. But God said, you don't need that. I'll give you what you need. You don't need that. I'll give you the knowledge. I'll give you the fulfillment. I'll give you the satisfaction. I'll give you what you need. 
So it was bad in a sense of that God said stay away from it and find something else. But in and of itself, it wasn't bad. And that's how we view things sometimes. And what Eve did in that moment is she, she made what God said you don't need and convinced herself that she did need it, right? Well, maybe I do need that. Like, it, it, it's not so bad. Like, there's some good there. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. Like, and we do that with the things in our life. And that's how we define certain things. And that's how we give ourselves over. But the Bible tells us, and Paul talks about this a couple times in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Like, that's the defining element. Why are we doing it? What's the purpose? Are we, are we doing it or is it, is it controlling us? Is it, is, it control, is it reigning over us? Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, so this is the thing. It's like there's so many things that we can have and do, and, and even good things, even things that are productive, even things that are healthy for us even. Like they can be a somewhat of a master robbing us from our experience with the true master in God. You know, there are so many things that we can navigate. There are so many things that we can experience. And he says, listen, it's not about getting rid of everything that you have, but it's about not letting what you have or what you're doing or what you're invested in control you or be your primary investment. And so what God is telling us, the same way we would do if you're looking at, 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 at something to invest in, like God's telling us, I'm telling you the low-risk investment. I'm telling you the, the best bang for your buck is pouring everything that you have in your heart into God because God will protect you. God will sure up your boundaries. God will keep the natural elements. God will keep the humanistic elements from breaking down the walls of your kingdom. He says, this is the best place for your investment. But what we find is, you know, and, and I had played around a little bit with the whole Robin Hood thing, and there were some little, you know, these little stocks that would shoot up and shoot down, and you play that game where it's like, well, if you can catch it high, buy it high, or, or catch it low, buy it low, and then sell it when it's high, and, you know, play that game like, that's a lot of what we do in life sometimes, right? Like we grab a hold of certain things at a certain point. We're like, man, I'm going to get something from this. But then what happens, right? It never quite gets to where we want it to get. It never quite has the return that we want it to have. But instead of casting it out or getting rid of it, maybe we hang on to it, right? I keep convincing myself that some of these digital currencies they may jump up and I'll be able to pay for my kids college one day but it's just not happening I need to just get rid of it right but we hang on and we're hoping that we're going to see the return and investment eventually but it just never comes God is telling us he says listen you want to sure up your investment I've created a place for you I've created a storehouse that guarantees the greatest interest rates that you'll ever have the greatest return that you'll ever know the most sured up investment that you will ever make is in the kingdom of God and in heaven and put your heart there. And, he's, and the beautiful thing about it is he's not even telling us to get rid of everything that we have. He's not telling us to stop doing everything that we do right now and go close ourselves up in our homes and just be isolated and just pray all day and read all day and worship all day. No, he says, in all that you do, do it unto the Lord. Don't get rid of things, just the things that you're doing, do them for the goodness of God. Do them for the growth of his kingdom. If you're going to have kids, if you're going to get married, if you're going to play sports, if you're going to work, if you're 
you're going to do anything, he says, just do it as if you're doing it into the Lord. And just pour everything you have into the kingdom of God in the midst of that situation, whatever it is. Because God says, I'll make a difference in that space. I'll change things there. I'll shore that up. I'll protect it where it will not be degraded. It will not be destroyed and it will not be robbed from you. He says, I want to work in that space. And I love in this last verse, and I think sometimes we can get a little confused here sometimes in the midst of, of religious spaces, but he says you cannot serve God and money. And so the thing is, is that we need to not be so focused on the monetary because I don't believe that that's what Jesus was saying. Because obviously what was valuable and how they exchanged currency looked a, looks a lot different, looked a lot different then than it does now. And so when he says money, like he's not saying that you can't have money and serve God. Or he's, and, and really that word money can be can be translated a lot of different ways and some of the ways are this that it can be translated as possessions as property or riches and so it's it's anything that we see as valuable he says you can't serve god and when we talk about serve being devoted to loving above all things he says you can't be devoted to god but also be devoted to these things and, and make that application however it fits in your life but whatever is of, of the utmost value to you like whatever you leave here today thinking about. Maybe what you're sitting in here right now thinking about. What you'll think about this week. What consumes your mind? What consumes your action? Because that's the thing. Whoever you serve, whichever end of that you serve is going to dictate your trajectory. It's going to dictate your actions. It's going to dictate your reactions. It's going to dictate how you navigate certain spaces. And so that's what he's telling us. Like you can't serve. You can't be active with two masters. He says you've got to be devoted to one. Because when you're devoted to that one, not only is that the one that's taking care of you to some extent, but it's also the one that's directing your actions, that's enforcing your, your abilities, that's enforcing the way that you navigate the spaces that you have. He's not saying that we can't be present, but the nature and the motivation can't coexist. He says, listen, he's not saying that you can't have and worship God, but he's saying to evaluate the nature and the motivation because if you can't, you can't have both. He says you can't be devoted. You can't love. He says you either love or hate. You're either devoted or you despise. He says, and because the thing is, one must win out. And the love, the, we love one and we love, you know, whichever one that that is and whichever one is there that one of those is going to win out. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, he says, But those who desire to be rich or to be wealthy or to be, uh, to be uh, plentiful fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So he's speaking here about motivation. Those who desire to be have plenty. And remember, we're not just talking about money or stuff. Plenty. Maybe it's plenty of you know, a lot of things to be rich in what? To be rich in comfort, to be rich in status, respect, friendships, importance and value, whatever that might be. He says, if you're being driven by this desire for plenty, he says, it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you down these paths. It's going to lead you down these ways of temptation into traps, into senseless and harmful acts. And into ultimate ruin and destruction in First Timothy 6, 9. Great verse. And so not only do we need to recognize the place and the purpose, but then the last thing is this, and we'll finish here, is the process at which this happens. How does our heart become divided? 
And how do we ultimately fix that division? How do we focus in on God? And he gives. And, and it, when you read this, it seems out of place. That's why I jumped over it. I want to come back to it. But in verses 22 and 23, I think he reveals to us a process here that's happening. Something that's happening in, even in our own lives today. He says in verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. And then he continues on, if your eye is bad, in verse 22. So what is he speaking of? This is obviously some sort of, of uh, uh, he, he's speaking of, in some sort of imagery here. And so when, we, when he says I, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of our, could be an element of our vision. But then there's also a way at which this is translated where he's speaking of the mind's eye or like our, our thoughts, right? Our thoughts, our intellect. But then there's also another way that the eye is used in the Bible. And, and, and it could, another way it could have been defined or translated is our envy or our wants. And I thought that was interesting to look at it through the, through the lens of that maybe. Like when the, your wants, your envy is the lamp of your body. And if your envy is healthy your body will be full of light. If your wants are healthy, then you'll be full of light, which obviously light is, is good. The, tr the contrast, light and darkness. Light is good, darkness bad, right? I think we can understand that. But even if we consider it from a vision perspective or something with the mind's eye or thoughts or intellect, you know, if, if we just strictly base the illustration on our eye, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I cannot clearly look at two things at one time. I, I could, we could stand in the middle of these screens and I can look in the middle where I can see both of them and I, I can't see either all that clearly or I can look at one and see one clearly but not see the other clearly. The other one's a little distorted. The other one's a little blurry. And so that's another reason when he's telling us you can serve two masters because you can't have a clear vision. You can't, can't have a clear perspective of both of them. And so neither is doing any good, even if one of them is bad as one of them is good. He says you can't, you can't be divided in your vision. You can't be divided in your envy. He says if your wants are, clear, are healthy, your, your body will be full of light. And so when he says healthy, what is he saying? To be healthy here, he means to be clear or to be singular or simple or folded together. I love that. Folded together, that it's cohesive. So he says that if your eye, if your wants, if your mind, your vision is the lamp of your body and your vision or your wants are healthy or clear, singular, simple, folded together, what does it say? Your body will be full of light. And then if it's bad, what does the bad mean? Bad means poor. That that vision, that that envy, that those wants are, are poor. Are not, uh, and I thought this was so interesting Another way that that is said is slothful. That that word bad could also be slothful or lazy or slow. And so he says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So it's the contrast of good. So he says, if your vision, if your wants are slothful, if they're lazy, if they're unhealthy, if they're unclear... He says, then your body will be consumed by darkness and be full of darkness. And, I, and I, I think it's interesting, you know, I always like to kind of look at things from a health perspective because that's what I deal with the most. But 
you know, the one thing that I've, I've noticed and known that it's a lot easier. There's a lot easier ways to lose our sight than it is to gain, right? Because even our sight is one of those things that can be taken away from us through what? Through time or through a humanistic element, right? An accident or something like that. And so I love that when he's speaking of our vision of life, even in the physical sense, when we talk about the material world, what can be taken away from us? Our vision can be taken away from us by two things. What? Time or the humanistic element. So even when he's talking about being invested, that our vision has to be more than even what we see. Because our mind's eye will dictate how our eye perceives the world around us. And that if our heart is divided between God and the world around us, our own feelings, our own desires, it's going to affect the way that we see the world. And that even if our vision was taken from us, we could still perceive the world a particular way. That our world does not have to be dark. That God could give us a vision of what it is he wants from us and how he's called us to live. But he wants us to have clarity. And how do we have that proper clarity? It's about our wants. What are we wanting? What do we want for our lives? Our envy, our eye, our mind's eye, our, our, our thoughts, our intellect. And I love, he says this, he says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In the end of verse 22, he says, how great is the darkness. And when we say great, we're not saying how awesome is the darkness. No, he says, man, when we let a little bit of that darkness in, that darkness will consume us so quickly. That darkness, everything separate from God, when we allow that to be our focus, that's our investment, that's our heart, that's our life, that's where our heart is, that's where our allegiance is. It says, man, it comes in so fast. Like I said, it's much easier to lose our sight than it is to regain it. But he says that darkness can just fill up our hearts and our minds and can begin to infect the way that we act, the way that we live, the way we engage with people, the way we navigate our relationship, the way we raise our children, the way we engage our children, the way we discipline our children. I mean, we see it. We see it in the world around us. Like we live in a cultural space that has figured out how to not have to raise kids. You either just allow them to do whatever they want because they're kids and that's just what they do, or you allow them to choose for themselves who they are and how they live. Right? I mean, it's ridiculous. We have figured out how to disconnect from parenting in all spaces and just allow them to do that when God says, This is our responsibility. This is what you're supposed to do. But we, if we can disconnect ourselves from what God has called us to, we will do it because when the darkness comes in, oh, how great is the darkness. The darkness will cloud our hearts and our minds, will cloud our vision, and will begin to affect our envy, our wants, and we will want. Bad things. We will want things that are, are, are poor for us, that are slothful, that are not providing, that are causing uh, divided hearts and causing our vision to be unclear. Because the darkness becomes overwhelming so fast. It spreads, it fills the space until we find ourselves at home in it. You know, because people who have been blind their whole lives, they've figured out how to live blind, right? But that darkness, we do the same thing. We, we, we get very comfortable in the darkness of sin. We get very comfortable in the darkness that the enemy has, has led us to. And we'll just figure out how to live there. We may not be happy in it. We not be, it may not be fulfilling for us, but 
we'll live in. And sometimes it's generational. Sometimes we allow it to be passed on from one to the next, to the next, to the next, and, and no one ever just seeks after the Lord to help break those cycles. But what's beautiful is we begin to invest in, in the kingdom of heaven. We invest in and put our treasure, lay our treasure up with Christ. What does he tell us he'll do? He says, I'll break the cycle. I'll keep the natural elements from destroying this beautiful thing. I'll keep the human element from destroying this beautiful thing. I'll protect you. The problem is, is that we can't protect the things that we love that, that well. I can't, I, I can't, my kids are going to go off, your kids, you have kids, they're going to go off to school, college, they're going to do things. In the material world, I can only protect them so much. I'm, I'm running out of time to protect them as much as I want to protect them. Eventually, there's going to have to be another element that protects them far beyond what I can. And that, that's where Christ comes in. That's where God does a work. That's where God can protect, where moth and rust and thieves cannot steal where Christ can protect. And that's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we desperately need. Because, listen, the thing about darkness is that not, you know, in this, in this illustration, it never only affects part of our lives, but it is great, he says. It is full. It is covering. It is smothering. And the thing about this and that we need to know that darkness is not like light being overwhelmed. Darkness cannot overwhelm light. But it is light being pushed out. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. So if darkness is present, the light is being shut out. If light's there, light will win. And that's what's beautiful. Even a little bit of light will win through the darkness, will pierce through the darkness. But if there's no light, if it's full of darkness, the light's been shut out. And so that's the question. That's the question we have to ask ourselves as we consider where our investments are where our heart is, where, where we find the most value, where we see the most significance in our life, what is driving us, what is motivating us. And if we're honest with ourselves and we see the darkness has swelled up, then what do we need to do? How do we fix it? I can't fix it on my own, but there is something that we can do. He says, let the light in. You start to let the light in, even just a little bit, even just a little bit of light, you let Christ in just a little bit. You engage with Christ just a little bit. And God, God says the light will break through. The darkness cannot coexist with the light, and the darkness will not overwhelm the light. If darkness is there, it's because of the absence of light. He says, begin to crack that open. We want, to start to, we want to start to see clearly. We want our eye, our envy, our wants to be more focused on God and what he has for us and the beauty of our relationship with him. He says, let the light in. Let it open. Engage with Christ. What does that look like? It's worship. It's church. It's relationships that, that, that instigate our desire for God. It's his word. It's prayer. It's all of these avenues at which the gracious God of the universe has given us so openly and freely to engage with him that we take so much for granted. So what does he say? Let the light in. You know, Psalm 62, verse 10, as the band 
comes up and we'll we'll worship together that these last two verses I just wanted to share. Psalm 62 10 he says put no trust in extortion set no vain hopes on robbery if riches increase set not your heart on them. He says don't set your heart on the riches set your heart on me. And I love this situation you can go back and read it in Matthew 19:21 when we a familiar story in church about the rich young ruler. You know and and we use that word ruler loosely because I, I don't know if he was so much of a king as he was somebody who just had a lot of stuff. I think he just had a lot of stuff. And so this king, this man, he comes and he says, listen, Jesus, I've done all of these things right. Like I've done all the religious things. I've checked all the boxes. Like I've accomplished all these things. I've, I've done it. I've lived it. I've loved it. Like how can I, like, what else do I need to do? And the thing about it, and I love Jesus' response, and, the, and we know that the point isn't our stuff. It's not about what we're doing, but Jesus is always going to the heart. He's going to the motivation. He's going to the reasons why. And so Jesus says, well, listen, if you've done all that stuff, there's only one thing holding you back. Matthew 19, 21, he says, if you would be perfect, and when we read the word perfect in the Bible, we could also read it as complete. If you would be complete, you want to be full, you want to be satisfied, you want to find what you're looking for. I still haven't found what I'm like, YouTube song going off in the background, right? The Lincoln Park song, in the end, it doesn't even matter. I've tried so hard, gone so far, going on in the background. Do you want to be complete? Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. What did he do? I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can let those things go. You know, and the thing about it is it wasn't so much about the stuff. Listen, because that's not the point. The point was his heart. Jesus knew his heart was far from him. Jesus knew that his investment, even in all these religious things he did, it wasn't for Jesus. It was for himself. To feel fulfilled. To feel satisfied. Listen, even our religious activity can become an allegiance that is unhealthy. He says, listen. Jesus says, hey, get rid of all that stuff and then come follow me. He says, ah, you're asking too much now. But listen, we need to know it wasn't so much about the stuff, but it's about the heart. It's about the allegiance of our heart. Where is our allegiance this morning? Where is our allegiance this morning? Is our allegiance to the light? Have we opened up? Have we cracked that space? Have we allowed that light in? Or is our allegiance elsewhere? Are, these, are there other things reigning over our body, reigning over our mind, reigning over our, our allegiance, reigning over how we navigate relationships, reigning over how we perform and the things God has given us the opportunity to do? Is it light reigning over in those things? Or is it full of a great darkness? the beautiful thing. If there's darkness there this morning, he says, let in a little light. Let in some light. The light will come in and the light will begin to show the way. We may not see the whole path at first. We might not completely understand where we're going. But he says, you let a little light in. And that darkness will start to move. And the more you let light in, the more that darkness moves and before we know it, there's clarity. There's clarity. There's clarity to what we need to do. There's clarity to what we need to want. There's clarity to how we live and act. 
there's clarity, there's vision, there's, there's sight. We have it finally. Let's just let a little light in. Church, I pray this morning as you stand with us and we worship together. I, I don't know your situation. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's reigning over your life. I know that if you're anything like me, you're busy. You've got things going on. You, th you have things that consume your time. You have things that consume your money. You have things that consume your efforts. You have things that consume the best of who you are. But my question for you this morning is if Christ isn't getting the best of who you are, then what is? Because the thing is, Christ is the only thing that lets light in. Everything else only shuts out the light. Remember, light isn't active. I mean, darkness isn't active. Darkness isn't pushing anything out. Darkness is only present because of the absence of light. What have we been using to blot out the light in our life? What have we been using? Where have we been treasuring our values? Where have we been putting ourselves, our heart? Where is our heart? Is our heart in a place that is letting light in or is our heart in a place that is blotting light out? This is where we need to be this morning. This is where we need to consider. So I pray you consider that. You take time where you are. Maybe you go and find a seat behind this curtain and just get by yourself. Maybe you find somebody. I know Garen's in the back. If you need somebody to pray with, like, where are you? Just evaluate that. And then we'll sing together. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much. God, and then in the midst of our greatest struggles, God, you lean in to give us the greatest, the most beautiful, God, escape. God, that you create paths of light in our lives. That, God, it doesn't matter the things that we've stacked against the windows of our heart. God, the things that we have stacked up and stored up, Lord, that we see as valuable. God, that have began to blot the light around us out. God, I'm thankful that you create spaces for us to reclaim the light. God, to engage with you. And so, God, I just ask this morning that you would allow us to be open and honest as we worship, as we sing, as we pray. God, that we would seek you fully to know you, to experience you. And God, to begin to move away the things, blotting out the light. God, that we would be full of light. God, that we would begin to push away the darkness begin to want what you want, begin to live as you've called us to live and love the way you've called us to love and to act the way you've called us to act. God, where is our treasures this morning? Who is our master this morning? God, and is it opening up to light or is it shutting out the darkness? God, let us see that. Let us pray through that here this morning. God, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.